So I feel slightly um, humble, really, as, as somebody who's very obviously not a Mary, um, talking about Mary's song. But, um, but I hope that you will sort of uh, excuse my male perspective on what is clearly a very, a very female start to Luke's Gospel. Luke is interesting. If you remember right at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, you'll remember that he's, um, he's writing to Theophilus, or he's writing it for Theophilus, and he's, his ambition is to create an orderly account of all the things that other people have seen. So he's gone round and spoken carefully to eyewitnesses. He doesn't specify how many, but, but you get the impression he's, he's done a lot of sort of due diligence. He's effectively set out to write a biography of Jesus. And if you were writing a biography of somebody, you'd go and talk to their family, you'd talk to their friends, you'd look at records, you'd try and find out all the things that you thought that were important about them, and you'd assemble that into um, a clear and orderly account. Not necessarily in time order, um, but, uh, but definitely one where you would be setting out the themes, the things that you wanted to have people focus on. And so Luke has started with um, the story of John the Baptist. That's um, what's going on at sort of the beginning of chapter 1. And then, of course, he switches track um, and he uh, sort of focuses on Mary and her encounter with the angel Gabriel. And now he brings those two strands together. And this is the point where um, Mary has been told that Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And so, as it says at the beginning, Mary got up and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea to see her relative. And let's just uh, have a quick look at the sort of comparison between the two of them. So, we've got these two strands in the story. And you'll remember the the extraordinary story of uh, Zechariah in the temple. And Zechariah, an old man, and Elizabeth, an old woman, they hadn't had children, um, and the angel appeared to Zechariah and said, well, you're going to have a child, and he didn't believe the word of God, and uh, he was struck dumb. So they're old parents. They've been married for many years, and they're about to have a miraculous birth, but a birth which still has human origins. And Zechariah prophesies once John is born, which we haven't read, you can read that sort of later yourselves, he prophesies about Jesus bringing God's mercy to God's creation. And he also prophesies about his own son, John, and that John's peace in this this overall plan, that John will be the prophet who will go before Jesus, making the path straight, announcing God's intervention into the world and calling people to repentance. And then we have Mary. Mary was young. She was probably a teenager. That was the sort of uh, the culture in those days that women, once they they reached puberty, once they could have children, they pretty soon started having children. Um, Because unfortunately, of course, a lot of women died in childbirth. You needed to be young and fit to have children. So the culture very much was um, that you started at a pretty young age. So potentially... 14, 15, something like that. She's never had a child before. She's never been married before. She's very much just in the process of leaving home. So she's totally at the opposite end of the spectrum to her relative, Elizabeth. She is about to have a miraculous birth as well. 
a very different birth, a birth where there's been no human conception, entirely God intervention. And she prophesies. She prophesies about herself and again about God's mercy to the world. And this is what Luke is really beginning to want to pick up on, wanting us to begin to understand who is this God and what is God wanting to demonstrate to his creation. And the key theme coming through seems to me to be mercy. It's all about God realising just how far astray his creation has gone and doing something about it. God being merciful to his creation and to his people. And then we have this extraordinary encounter. So Mary has um, walked, probably, all the way from her hometown to where Elizabeth is. And she's gone up to the door, knocked on the door, banged on the doorpost. And where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, and Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. So you can imagine, and I don't know, you know how many of you have lived in parts of the countryside where people don't lock their doors but, you know, generally speaking, you'll go up and you'll sort of, you'll push open the door and then you'll shout because the other person's not there. When I was young, uh, we used to live in a part of the country a bit like that. And our next door neighbour would regularly come round, push open the door and shout through the doorway and then just wander around the house looking for people. Uh, and we'd do the same to her. And that's what it was probably like for, for Mary. She's walked all that way. She's sort of knocked on the doorpost, no answer, goats and chickens and whatever. So she wanders around the house going, Elizabeth, I'm here. Put the kettle on. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, something extraordinary starts to happen. She's six months pregnant by now, so she's probably beginning to show. She definitely knows she's got a baby inside. It'll be moving around. For those of you who've carried babies or, or sort of been associated with people who, who do, you know they kick and they move. Remember um, Sue having an amusing incident where I suspect it was Sam was kicking other people on the tube. She was sitting on the, uh, on the underground and Sam was sort of making a bit more space for Sue by kicking. So the baby is moving around. You can really feel this, this thing inside. And it says... The baby leapt in her womb. There was a physical response. John, the prophet, is already prophesying before he is born. Six months fetus in the, in the womb. And he's moving in response to the presence of God. And then Elizabeth starts to prophesy. Let's have a look at the next now, I think there are two interesting sort of aspects to it. It feels to me as though there's the sort of the human connection, the woman to woman, the cousin to cousin, where Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Just a recognition that there's something extraordinary going on in her cousin. But that feels to me to be the sort of greeting that really anybody with spiritual insight might say to a young woman who is pregnant and has told you a rather extraordinary story. But then there's this second comment that she makes. And this is an old woman. We don't know how old. And 
you know, in age terms, she might not be that old. She might be in her 40s or 50s. In that culture, she's described as old and barren. The picture painted by Luke is that Elizabeth is at the sort of in the latter part of her life. She's in her senior years. She is now a matriarch. She's somebody senior in society, no longer expected to have children. People will be going to her for advice and for wisdom. And this senior person in society says to a young teenage girl with an illegitimate baby, she's talking to somebody who is so far beneath her in sort of societal terms, and yet she says, but why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth understands what's going on. She's not in the presence of her cousin. She's not in the presence of a young teenage girl with a, a strange story and a, and a dodgy baby. She's in the presence of God. Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? An extraordinary realisation, an extraordinary announcement of what is actually happening here with these two babies meeting while they're still in the womb, these two mothers in very, very different circumstances. And then Mary goes on to prophesy and we get this extraordinary song, this Magnificat. Let's have a look at the next slide. And what I think it's telling us is that Mary understands her place in God's creation. She says, all generations will call me blessed. Now we tend to think, because we think within time, and we always think forwards, and if we force ourselves, we look back. But the past is a different place. We've been there, we cannot return. So we look back at it, but it's somewhere different. The future is where we're headed, has all the possibilities. So usually when I've read this verse, all generations, I think, yeah, okay, so that's everybody afterwards. But we're talking about God here. We're not talking about humanity. So we're not talking about time in human ways. I think here Mary is recognising that all generations who will be blessed by God, all generations who are blessed by God, all generations who have been blessed by God, will call her blessed. Because God is the great I am. God is the, the God who created time. God is not bound by time. So the blessing that he gives through Jesus, the blessing of his creation that he brings by becoming a human being, applies throughout time. Back into the past, out into the future, across all the possibilities. And every component of creation is calling Mary blessed. That's how crucial she is. And it's interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, in a sort of a, the Protestant tradition, one of the things that we've all been sort of careful to do over the years is to say, well, you know, yes, Mary's just a, Mary's just a human being. We shouldn't worship Mary, so we'll, we'll not have any statues to Mary and we won't sing songs to Mary and we certainly won't pray to Mary. There's a bit of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, if that's not an unfortunate analogy. 
Because Mary is the single human being who here, at this point in time, is carrying God inside her. And that's what Elizabeth has recognised. The mother of my Lord. Why should I be so favoured that I could stand in God's presence and see God as a fetus on earth, intervening in humanity? And then Mary prophesies, God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Again, I would say up and down the time spectrum, not just forward from that point in time, but throughout all creation. God's mercy applies to all generations. And she actually points that, yes, look, God was merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary is wanting us to understand that what's going on inside her womb, what is going on in this obscure part of Judea, has eternal significance. There's um, a wonderful song that I came across as I was um, sort of preparing for this. There's a great version by a group called the Pentatonics called Mary Did You Know? And I was um, hoping I could overcome my technological challenges to play it for you today, but I can't. So homework, look it up uh, this afternoon or whatever. But there's a beautiful line in there. When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. I thought it was just extraordinary. If you've ever held a baby and you imagine kissing that baby and it's, it's a wonderful feeling just holding a baby and kissing a baby. But to then have that concept that this baby is God. You are kissing the face of God. Moses was one of the few people who could look on the face of God And that was because he was such an extraordinary person. And he he then himself had to hide his face because he'd been so changed by seeing God face to face that other people couldn't look at him. Most people who look at the face of God die in the Old Testament. And yet here, Mary is able to kiss the face of God. That's how close God is coming to us at Christmas. This concept of Emmanuel, God with us, God is so close that we can kiss him and he can kiss us. And Mary right now is telling us this is what it's going to be like. This God who has been so remote and so distant and has felt so awesome that you couldn't even go into his presence. Zechariah the priest had to go alone into the presence of God after going through complicated rituals. And Mary is now carrying God inside her and we will be able to kiss his face and he will kiss us back. So where does that leave us? Next slide. Mary's prophesying good news to the poor. She says, for he has, uh, his mercy extends to those who fear him. He's performed mighty deeds He has filled the hungry with good things. He has lifted up the humble. There's a lot in her prophecy about creation being remade, reformed, reordered. And 30 years later, her child is in the synagogue in Nazareth 
reading from Isaiah's prophecy and saying, here, today, in your presence, this prophecy has come true. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Thirty years prior to that, Mary was explaining what sort of God she was carrying inside her. A God who had mercy on his creation. A God who wanted to preach freedom. And the other interesting thing that I came across was um, the freedom that is referred to elsewhere in this Isaiah's prophecy that Jesus was reading. The freedom is like the year of Jubilee. You remember the concept in, in Jewish law where every 50 years all debts were cancelled, all land that had been transferred to, to other people was transferred back to the original sort of holders. A whole process of restoration and reordering and remaking things back to as good as new. That's the freedom that Jesus came to bring to each one of us. A restoration of our relationship with God, a relationship with God where we can kiss the face of God and know that God will kiss us back. And that's the connection that Luke is wanting to make in his Gospel. It's Luke chapter 4 where Jesus gives that prophecy. It's only a few chapters on, and Luke is saying, here's Mary, here's the prophecy here, and then turn a few pages, here's Jesus. There's a 30-year gap, but Luke's jumping all that because he wants us to see the sort of God that we are worshipping, the sort of God that we can have a relationship with. But it's not just a, a sort of a, a mental connection that, God wants, uh, that Luke wants us to make. It's not just... Oh, look, here's chapter 1, here's chapter 4. Do you see the link between the two? Of course, the real connection that Luke wants us to make, the reason why he's writing an orderly account to Theophilus and to other people who will read it is because he wants us to make the connection with Jesus. He wants us to make the connection that Elizabeth made and that her baby and her womb made when Mary came into their home. He wants us to respond, to leap, to move, to change, to reach out. And that's the message this Christmas. Emmanuel, God is close, God is with us. It's our opportunity to be with God and to bring those around us, our friends, our family, our neighbours, our work colleagues, to bring them into the presence of Emmanuel as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are God with us. Thank you that you were born as a human baby. Thank you that through your humanity you understand each one of us in our humanity. Thank you that ultimately you are God and you can heal our humanity and have mercy on each one of us. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.